morning, good morning. Um, so real quick, we have a lot to cover this morning, and um, I hopefully our discussion will, sp- no, the content that I have will spur discussion. I was going to say discussion will spur discussion. That wouldn't work. Um, so I want to get started. Any prayer request or praises? So I have one, PD actually just told me, um, Karen Schwartz, we just found out, is going to need open heart surgery. Um, so she has a leaky heart valve, apparently. We don't know any other particulars um, other than that. So obviously, um, a lot is, is hitting the Schwartz family right now. So we definitely need to, I'm going to pray for Karen here in just a moment. Um, so that's not to like trump your prayers or anything, but uh, maybe just start uh, that, that mind frame. Anything else before we get started? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful this morning that we can come and open up your word. And as we approach the doctrine of salvation, Father, you you give us what you want us to know, what we need to know in your word. And this can be a difficult topic, Father, um, especially when we look at eternity. Um, We all come with certain life experiences and, and things that we deal with. But Father, I just pray that you will impress on us that, that you are sovereign over all things, that, that you rule our lives, and that your plan of salvation is, from, is through eternity, is from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. And so Father, I just pray that, that you will wor- really work in our hearts, um, that we will really consider this fully, um, and that we will have an answer. Um, for what you have done for us um, through your son. And Father, I do lift up our our sister, um, Karen. Um, We we just pray that you would comfort her. Um, Of course, Father, you are the great physician. You could heal her right now, and we do pray for healing. But we also pray for for the the hospital, the the physicians, the surgeons, um, all of those, the specialists, all of those um, uh, folks who will be caring for uh, Karen, that you would supernaturally work through their hands to heal our sister. Help us to know how to minister to the family. Help us to know how to pray. Um, I just pray that we would just lift her up powerfully in our prayers um, and that we would see her um, again joining us in person. So, Father, again, thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we have together, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning, and I, I have to say I apologize that um, I did not have time this week to um, print out notes, and I know some of you are really, really like to have notes, really like to write things down, and I am very, very sorry. Um, hopefully, this won't scare you away for next week, but we'll probably spill over into next week, and I'm really going to make it an effort to have notes for you over what we go over today, but also what we will cover next week for you um, next Sunday. So again, I apologize, and I will really try to um, go over all of this material and, and give you the scripture references, and um, if you have questions, please raise your hand. Please stop me. Um, turn with me f- to Philippians chapter 2. As we consider the doctrine of soteriology or, or the doctrine of salvation, um, you know, I, I think some of you, and obviously you're here, so you're interested, you want to know doctrine, but, but sometimes, I, I don't know if any of you would admit that it, it can be difficult at times, and it can be maybe even a little academic or kind of stuffy um, and, and things like that. But, you know, Scripture, doctrine is all throughout Scripture. 
Um, and doctrine is very, very important to lead us to help pull different scripture um, passages together to help us know where we are going. And obviously, as we look at salvation, I hope that everyone would agree that there's nothing more important than figuring out salvation and, and what it means and, and how we handle it and, and how we present the gospel even. And so Philippians 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 13. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the Lord of God the Father. Now, here's, here's the, the, the main point that I, I want to, um, coming up in verse 12 and 13. This is kind of the lens I want us to look at this doctrine. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So are we ready when, when we look at this working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean to you? When we, when we see here that he's saying that Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that sound like works-based? I mean, what, what do you guys think when you read that? You guys are... So we were all saved. I assume everybody in here is saved, has accepted Christ as their Savior. When you accept Christ as your Savior, are you fully, are you a fully adult Christian at that point? Do you have everything that you need to know at that point? You're good to go. Hey, Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I'm good to go. That's all I need to do. I just need to go around when the, when the, when the Bible tells us to spread the gospel. That's all I need to know. I just, 
Or do, is there more for us to know? Is there more for us to work out? And I would submit to you this morning, that's what we're talking, this doctrine of salvation, kind of everything that we've been learning leads to this pinnacle of the doctrine of salvation. And it's even more important, I would say, um, in the world that we live in today. Um, everything that we are dealing with today in our world is um, all feelings-based. It's all about what you feel, right? We see it everywhere. Like, are, are, do you feel like you're a man or a woman today? You know, so it's all feelings-based. There's no hard foundation that we rest on. And I would also say, and, and I don't know if you would agree with me or not, it obviously, to me, it, it's coming from the pit of hell. And if they can erode the doctrine, if they can erode this foundation of salvation— Everything else is undercut. If they can pull away from you your assurance in your salvation, everything else is done. It doesn't matter what else we do. And so that's what, when I read this here, work out our, your own salvation. You cannot depend on me, Pastor Dan, Pastor Andy, Pastor Paul, to give you everything you need to know to be sure of your salvation. You have to work it out. We have got to dig into God's word. And so this morning, I want to hit on, as we start down this road a little bit over the next several minutes, I want to start where Pastor uh, Dan actually left off, and that is with total depravity. And he, he went a lot into that, but I just really want to set our sights. I want us to be clear on where we are, and then we're also going to look at where God is. So one thing that we see, I think, that can complicate as, as we... You know, as we evaluate ourselves, as we evaluate the world, we are always comparing ourselves to what? In, in, in the world that we live in, in the secular world, what are we always comparing ourselves to? The world, right? So sinners comparing myself, comparing myself to other sinners, right? So we, lots of times, I don't know, would you agree that we seem like we're pretty squared away? We're good, right? I, I mean, we're, we're not out there, we're not you know, taking drugs, we're, we're not aborting babies, we're not, you know, stealing, we're not doing all of these things. So, man, I, I even came to church on Sunday, right? I even sang some songs. I maybe even said an amen. I am good, you know? But the problem is, is we always have to take the perspective of what we are being, what is the measure? What is the measure that we are looking at ourselves by? And in Scripture, we have very definite measurement of what we are looking, um, wh how we are, are compared, or, or what we are compared to, I guess I should say. But the thing is that we have to remember is even evil sinners have the ability to perform good deeds. In Matthew seven eleven, Christ, said, Christ is, is talking to them, and he says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, of course, that's encouraging. That is an encouraging text. But I want you to catch that first few words there. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts. We know how to do good things. Evil people, you know in your lives, people who are, are not saved, are not followers of Christ, they do good things, right? So that is not the measure. That, that's not the measure at all. And, and when we start comparing ourselves to, to other sinners, we really start to go off course. But again, 
obviously you're going you're, you're assuming I'm going to say this which I am we must go to scripture to learn how depraved we actually are and you probably have heard ab about this before the depravity of man we have to we have to understand the depravity of man so I'm going to um, I'm going to throw out some scriptures uh, like uh, PD does um, to get you guys involved so if somebody can look up Titus 115 Jeremiah 17 9 Ephesians 4, 18 through 19, and Romans 8, 5. Who has Titus 1, 15? When you have it, go ahead. Titus is hard to find, I know, sometimes. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But they are also defiled. So we are not pure, right? We are not pure. We are, as sinners, prior to being saved, prior to being regenerated, which we'll talk about regeneration, we are defiled and unbelieving. So there's nothing that is pure, nothing at all that is pure. And our minds and our consciences are defiled. Who has Jeremiah 17, 9? And these are, these are scripture references that we know well, right? We, we know all of these, but, but, you know, really listen to what the Bible is saying. It's deceitful above all things and desperately, not just sick, desperately sick. Ephesians 4, 18 through 9, or I'm sorry, 18 through 19. So that's talking about us, right? That is talking about sinners, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. They're ignorant, hardness of heart, callous, greedy. Romans 8, 5. Does somebody have that one? So the world who is living according to the flesh, sinners who are living according to the flesh, who have not been renewed, they are living like the world. They're not going to know the things of Christ. They're not going to know the things of the Bible or of eternity. And then I'm going to read Ephesians 2. Actually, I already did that. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Actually, no, I didn't. I read 3. I'm sorry. So Ephesians 2, and we know this passage very well. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of, of mankind. 
I think we can all probably relate to that, right? There was a time in your life where you did not care about anything of the Bible. You did not care about church. You were following the world and more importantly, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we even struggle with that, right? We are not completely glorified now, but this is the world. We see all around us. So this is where we are sinner. And I just pulled out several of the terms or, or several of the words that we see there. So we as sinners, out of all of those scripture references, were deceitful, were desperately sick, darkened in understanding, alienated, ignorant, hard hearts, callous, given up to sensuality, greedy, impure, fleshly, dead in trespasses, sinful, followers of Satan, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we are children of wrath before we are saved. So that is where we are as man, right? So put ourselves in the right place. So when we start to think that we are good, that we've got everything figured out, this is where we are. This is how, unfortunately, we are looked at by God because of sin, because of the fall. This is where we're at. And the thing that I really want to point out here, and, and you've probably heard this so many times, how many have, of you, and I don't want to be um, overly morbid, how many of you have seen a dead person? And I don't want us to just glaze over this, and I think sometimes we do, because it's, a, it's an obvious thing that we think about. And I know Pastor Dan talked about it. Can a dead person do anything for themselves? Can they, can they start their heart beating again? Can they breathe again? Can they heal themselves? That is what Ephesians is telling us here. That is what Paul is telling us here. We were dead. We bring nothing to the table. We absolutely could not do anything. We were a bloated corpse. We can do nothing. All right? So that is where we are as sinners. So when we look at salvation, what is the ultimate purpose of salvation? Anybody want to take a stab? Anybody know? Was there a need for salvation before the beginning of time? Before the beginning of time, when God is on his throne in eternity, before he created the world, was there any need for salvation? So does anybody want to take a stab? What is, what, what's the whole purpose of all of this? Reconciliation, okay. Reconciliation, how do you mean? That's an important term that we will hit on later as well, but go ahead. Right, okay. And yes, that, that, is, that, is a, um, that is part of it. That is a, um, that's one of the things that comes from salvation. But that is not, I would submit to you, that is not the driving purpose of salvation. The driving purpose of salvation, I have some scripture references here to, to help us um, work through this. The driving purpose of salvation is for God to bring, bring glory and honor to himself. That is the purpose of salvation. Now, 
obviously, and we will see this, and mo- many of you could, could have a testimony that, that would align with this. Of course, us being the recipients of salvation, we have such amazing gifts that are bestowed on us. And that reconciliation is one of them, right? We are reconciled with God through Christ our Savior. But that was not the intent. So turn with me to Ephesians 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 6. If also somebody could look up Psalm 106, 8, verse 8. And Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 8. So Psalm 106, 8 and Exodus 3, verses 7 through 8. I'm going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Okay, and, and, and again, my intent here is to show that this actually is the ultimate purpose, is for God to bring glory to himself. So Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm going to stop there for just a second. So when we talk about reconciliation, that's what we're talking about here, right? We have been blessed, and I, I, I don't want to confuse anybody. I, I don't want to pull away from absolutely we are blessed. We are nothing without the salvation, the, the, the um, redemption of Christ. Okay, so we're told right here, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation. I want to back up. I'm just going to throw this out here. Tuck this away in your mind. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Okay, again, another, um, uh, we are the recipients of his love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So do you see this kind of interweaving of all of this? We are recipients. We are reconciled. We are regenerated. And we're going to get to all of those things. But again, the ultimate purpose is to the praise of his glorious grace. Psalm 106. Who has Psalm 106, 8? Yet he saved them for his, his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. He is revealing his power through salvation. And again, tuck that away in your mind a, a, a little bit as well as we start to go through this. Because we're going to look at the power of salvation, all right? Um, Exodus 3, 7 and 8. A lot of ites. All the ites, all of them, all of the things. Right? So um, here, what we have here is, again, at the, be, at the uh, start of that, in verse 7, he has seen the affliction of my people. He has heard their cry. I know their sufferings. 
all right? And he has come down to deliver them, all right? So to make himself known, okay? So again, I, I don't want to detract, and I see some faces out there like, well, what are you saying? Is this, is this not for me, or, or what is this all about? Of course it is, of course. But what he is doing by bestowing his love on us and this eternal plan, which I'm going to lay out here in a second, this eternal plan is to show his glory and his power and his might. So does anybody have a problem with what I'm saying so far? Is anybody ready to leave? And I think this can be hard, right? Especially as we are dealing with things in our lives to say, wait a second, this isn't, this isn't for me. Of course it's for us. But again, I am saying, I'm submitting to you the ultimate purpose right? The ultimate purpose of all creation was the glory of God, for him to be in fellowship with his creation. And of course, we have the fall and messes everything up. Okay, so the plan of salvation. So we have the fall, we have the depravity of man, we have God who wants to bring glory upon himself, and this is where I really want to spend some time and time is quickly passing, and, and it's very, very hard to try to encompass all of this in such a short amount of time. But when we're talking about the doctrine of salvation, we have to be very, very careful, I think, and we have to make sure that, that we are, are searching this through. And I would definitely, I would just say as a side topic, there is no, or, or a side statement, there's no way, there's no way that we can hit on every part of this. And I would ask, beg of you to search this out, to be a Berean, to dive into the scripture and to search this out. Because in the world that we live in, this will be our solid rock. This will be what we will stand. This will be where we will stand. And if you're going off of feeling, if you're going off of, well, I asked Jesus into my heart and so I'm a Christian. I'm not saying that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. What I'm saying, though, is can you stand on that? When you are persecuted, can you stand on that? Did anybody see the video of the Canadian pastor being walked out by law enforcement, children crying? Did anybody see that video? Because what happened was they went and they found a remote place to have church because of all the craziness going on in Canada. They found him with a police helicopter they went to his home to arrest him. And so this video is of this pastor and his multiple young little kids crying, asking why they're taking daddy away. And then it ends with him reaching through the little cage in the, in the uh, police vehicle, giving, you know, touching his kids as they lead him away. Now, this is in Canada. Canada's a, Canada's a mess. But I think we see it here. And so when we talk about our salvation, when we talk about being asked to renounce our faith, are, are we ready to stand? Are we ready to give an answer? So, sorry, got off topic there. All right, so the plan of salvation. And this right here, the reason I want to spend so much time on this plan is because the whole purpose of the scripture, of what God has done for us, and more importantly, what Jesus did on the cross for us is to make us sure to make us sure of why we are Christian, to make us sure of our faith. So we don't have to worry about, wait a second, 
I prayed a prayer, I walked an aisle, I did these things, and then Monday morning, I feel like a sinner again. Does anybody feel that way? Does anybody struggle with that? I, I don't, how many of you would be honest enough to say that you struggle with your salvation? Has anybody been in the church for a long time, heard multiple messages, how, whatever your story is, and then something hits you and you go, wait a second, did, do I have this right? A- am I good? You did, did I, whatever it is, anybody, anybody been there? Nobody's been there except me. All right, all right, that's fine. Well, then I'm going to preach to myself here in a second, all right? But again, we can be sure. All right, so this plan of salvation, this plan is eternal. It was put in place. It was completed by the triune God. So lots of times we look, not lots of times, most of the time, which again is not wrong, we focus on Christ, Christ on the cross, okay? Which is true. Christ would take on all weakness of human nature, secure for his people the righteousness, forgiveness, and cleansing that they could never obtain for themselves, right? So the bloated corpse, which we were, Christ comes and he does all of those things. He lived as a man in perfect obedience to the Father. He died on the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice. Remember that word, substitutionary. If you make a note, substitute. He rose again with victory over sin and death, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we must be clear on this. The substitutionary atonement, atonement for sins, is rooted in God the Father's purpose to save the elect. All right? Substitutionary atonement. It's God's purpose. Have any of you maybe thought, maybe, um, and, and maybe you've never thought of this, that you have the wrath of God. You, has, you have this wrathful God that especially we see in the Old Testament, right? Wrathful God, and I think PD talked about it maybe last week. Well, you need to read all the way to the end of the book because you see the wrath of God again, right? Because he, like, he burns everything up. And Jesus comes on the scene to stop the wrath of God and, and work between us, right? Of course, we, we see in Scripture that Jesus is interceding for us. But I would submit to you, don't look at it that way. That, that Jesus is holding back this wrathful God that is just ready to strike you down. And the reason I bring up this whole plan of salvation is that it starts with God. It starts with the triune God. Every person of the Trinity plays a role in this. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever would believe would be saved, right? So God sent his son. Christ takes on flesh. He dies on the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's Aaron's summary. All right, that is what is happening through salvation. And I'm going to go quickly. If somebody would look up John 6, 38 through 40, and Acts 2.23. I'm going to uh, read Ephesians 3, 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the work of his power. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, that God has realized, that God has manifested through Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So do you see that there? The eternal purpose so God's eternal purpose that he manifested or realized through Christ. All right? Did somebody look up John 6, 38 through 40? Acts 2, 23. Somebody have that? All right. So we have in John, Jesus speaking, telling about this plan, laying it all out. This is the will of him, God who sent me, that I should lose nothing. What's he talking about there? Anybody have any idea? Hmm? Did I hear something? He's talking about sinners? He would lose nothing of all that was given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the sun, so right, everybody who goes to the sun, who goes to him, Jesus, believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's very definite plan here. It is started by God. It is, it is manifested through Christ. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be sure. You can be sure today. You can offer an answer. You can offer an answer for your confidence. I hope you're confident when we read this. And then in Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Again, this wasn't, this wasn't okay, Adam and Eve, you know, God, the triune God, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit get together in the boardroom up in heaven. And man, they've really thrown us a wrench this time. Right, we gave them this beautiful garden. They sinned. Now what are we going to do about it? No, this was from the beginning of time. When you accept Christ, when you accept his death, burial, and resurrection, his spilling of blood for you, it's, you are confident that this is, this is it. This was the eternal plan. And that's what I'm trying to, to, to really hit at this morning. And I, I must say, one of the reasons I'm trying to hit on this is because I'm talking to myself. I have to admit to you that 
that this was very convicting. You know, when I started into this study, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, we're going to hit on all of the different steps, right? The regeneration, the justification, all of those things, which are important, which we're going to get to. But I started looking at all of this and thinking, because we're called to have an answer. Have any, has anyone struggled to have an answer in the world, with your family maybe, with your own heart, with those in the world, to have an answer of why you go to church, why you are a follower of Christ? Has anybody struggled with that? And as I started to read this, I thought, man, I, I don't, right? Because the gospel, and I think we can be a little sloppy with our gospel. I'll just say it that way. What, what is our message? Christ died for you on the cross, for your sins. He bled and died. And please, this is not judgmental on you at all. I'm, I'm speaking to myself, right? Whether you're in Awana, whether whatever your ministry is, whether you're talking to your friends, right? We say, we say this, and it's all true. It's biblical. Christ died for you, for your sins, right? He bled and died so that you can know that your sins are clean and that you can accept him and you can go to eternity. But what I really started to see here is there's so much more. There's so much more strength. There's this eternal plan that the world needs to hear, that, that we need to understand. We need to understand this doctrine. And what we're getting ready to hit on here in the last very, very few minutes, man, time goes fast. I'm going to touch on real quickly the atonement. What this idea of the atonement, everybody heard that, top, that word before, the atonement, the atonement of Christ. We have to understand what the atonement is. We really, really have to understand what was accomplished. So I'm going to stop talking and move on to the atonement instead of talking about it. So all religions that we know in the world have some form of atonement. Somebody give me your definition of atonement. And again, this isn't a test. What would you say atonement is? You guys are lively this morning. Anybody want to take a stab? Huh? Making up for a wrong? Yes. Right? Do we see that in other religions? Do we see that in Islam, for example? Who has to make the atonement in these man-made false religions? Hmm? Man. Right? And how do they do that? works, right? They have to go through these things. They have to do all of these things. They have to point a certain way to pray. They have to pray at this time of day. They have to go through all of this stuff, right? It is man-centered. You have this God, this deity, who is watching to see if man can do enough to please them, right? And it's really, if you look into Islam, again, I won't, I won't go in detail, it really is a sad religion. When you consider these people out there killing themselves. They're trying to gain Allah's favor. They're trying to do all of these crazy things to get the favor of God. But what do we have in our scripture? The only true religion, the only true God. We just read it. God does it all. We were sinners. We messed up. And so he knows that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He descends, sends his son to die for us, to take care of all of it. And this was from eternity. This is, this, is our, this is our confidence. 
that it was all done through him. Again, this wasn't something that was a reaction. This was the definite plan. Substitutionary sacrifice by his son on the cross. Sinners contribute nothing. And again, I want to say, this is where we get sloppy. I, I say, and again, I hope you don't take offense. This is where we get sloppy. Because I don't think sometimes that we focus, that I focus enough on the atonement, on the power that was done on the cross. That God is holy, perfectly righteous, and he cannot fellowship with someone who is less righteous, right? I hope I laid out the, the, the proof that we are less than righteous, right? So there is this division that you talk about, this reconciliation that needs to happen. And in 1 John 1, 5, I want to get through these verses real quick and then we'll stop. John, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right? So God is holy. There is no darkness in him. And then Matthew 5, 48. I'm just going to read these real quick. Just, you, you can write these down. Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what Jesus is saying there in Matthew 5 is, you must be perfect. How many of us are perfect? Right, so Jesus is just kind of laying out the problem there. You must be perfect like God is perfect. Well, we're not perfect. And again, that talks about the divide that you were talking about. The sinner has no way to pay for the sin. We have no and I would even say, we see it in Scripture, we have no desire to do so. Before we are converted, before we are regenerated, we have no desire to do anything. We, we don't even care about it. And we have this in Romans 8, 7 and 8. Romans 8, verses 7 through 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Okay, so not only did we not have any desire... We were, in fact, hostile to God. For it does not, the mind, the sinful flesh of the mind, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, again, we had this separation. And we have this need for an atonement. Like you guys said, we have this need for an atonement that we some a price has to be paid, and this price. Um, what what is the what is the um, price? What what is what is the reason for the price that must be paid? Anybody? Right. So. Sin, God is so holy that he cannot, like we just saw here. God cannot, even though he loved us, right? He cannot. It is, it is sin that is the problem. He cannot fellowship with sinners. He cannot deal with sin. And again, I, I want to remind us that he knew this. And he came up with the plan. So this will bring us to... The penal, which you will see in, in um, systematic theology, 
penal substitutionary atonement. And I just want to define that real quick, and then we'll stop. Penal substitutionary atonement. So penal, what's penal? Penalty, right? That's where penalty comes from, right? So we have a wrong that has occurred. We already, we already Amy just said, that's the sin. Substitutionary, again, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. There needs to be a substitute, okay? There is a substitute. Well, there doesn't need to be a substitute. In fact, there didn't need to be a substitute. Who would have paid the penal price? Who would have paid the penalty? You and me, right? So this atonement was completed by Christ. He substituted himself, he paid the penalty, and he atoned for our sins. And I want to end with this real quick. And this is something that, that I think or some of the things I earlier said um, can maybe lead us down and maybe even be discouraging for us. Do you realize that God does not love us because Jesus died for us? Okay, we have to get the order right. God does not love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God loves us. Do you see that order there? And that order is very, very, very important. Okay? Jesus died for us because God loves us. Okay? So, again, is God wrathful? Yes. And we're going to look at his wrath on sin. And it is very real. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in Revelation. There's very real wrath. Sin must be atoned for. There must be a penalty for sin. And God's holy wrath is, um, uh, what's the word I want to look for or, or looking for? Um, his wrath is kindled by sin, okay? He is so holy, and we can't relate to that. We cannot relate to, I don't think, because, again, we have to be careful because we look at that and say, okay, well, th is this a hateful God? I mean, why the wrath? Why the fire and brimstone? Why all of these things? Sodom and Gomorrah, all of these things that we read. And if you read the whole Old Testament, I would say probably some of, the go some of you look at that and go, man, that's harsh. That's tough. Like, what do we do with that? Again, it's the right view of God. God is so holy, so perfect. He is outside of time that he must judge sin. And God is so powerful that it is wrath that we almost cannot comprehend. I mean, shoot, eternity in hell. How many of you have looked at that and said, that is harsh? Anybody admit that? Anybody admit that, man, death in hell? But that is, don't look at it as, obviously, it's penalty for sin and it is focused on the sinner. But that is how God looks at sin. I think that's the thing that I want to end on. That is how we must look at our sin. And again, like I started out, when we look at sin compared to other sin, yeah, that's easy, right, to get those scales, right? Well, I, again, I went to church. I did these things. I gave. I did these things. So I'm, I'm good. But when you look at it through the eyes of God, eternal damnation in hell is how he looks at sin. It must be paid for. And no amount of paying will, will deal with that sin because he's so perfect. He is so holy. And if we get stuck on that, that can really get us off of the, the whole message. And the whole message, again, is this substitutionary atonement. The fact that he knew we couldn't do it, he know, knew it must be paid for, and he sends his son to do just that.
Any questions or thoughts? Anybody want to tell me I'm way off track? Pastor Andy, am I way off track? Would I pass at seminary? You know, and, and this is the thing, guys, I think we look at. Some of you may have come to this and go, okay, right, this is only for seminary students or, theologi or, or theology professors. This here is the doctrine that we have to be sure in. We have to be sure and we have to be ready to fearfully work out our salvation. Not that we are working it out through works, but we are understanding the scripture so we are sure of what happened for us through the blood of Christ. So we will pick up there um, next week. So I would invite you to maybe look at those Bible references, pray about it. Again, be a Berean, get in the word, all right? Because I, I want to hear from you. This, this is something that we as a church need to work through. We as a church need to be solid in this. Pastor Andy, would you close us in prayer?